Little quiz here. What disorder, condition, or problem might this be? The symptoms include sweating, shaking, trembling, chills or hot flashes, difficulty breathing, sensation of choking, increased heart rate, tightness in your chest, nausea, dry mouth, ringing in your ears, dizziness, fainting, or confusion. Survey says... Sounds like anxiety. It could be a lot of different fears, but specifically, it was listed under the fear of being alone. Eromophobia. Eromophobia. This comes from two little Greek words. Eramos, which means desert, a wilderness, a quiet place. And phobos. That's fear, right? And so, this idea of being alone. Anybody ever feel, well, I won't even ask you. Some of us feel a little fear around, a little anxiety around being alone. And um, it's interesting, it's closely related to sedataphobia, which is the fear of silence. Fear of silence. The moms in the crowd are like, I don't got that. <laughs> the fear of silence. 50 years ago, this was totally unheard of. But psychologists say that the silence has become scary for some people because it creates a sense of anticipation. What's going to happen next? Or anxiety. Basically, it's the fear of what you don't know and what might be next. And that's when you realize you are not in control. One journal article even pointed to the fear of awkward silence in conversations. That people feel distressed, afraid, hurt, and rejected when there's too long of a pause in your conversation. Feeling a loss in belonging and validation. The truth is, we don't listen well enough, and oftentimes we talk over each other and you know, interrupt each other, and we don't have those, those silent moments, but I wonder if that's part of what's going on. We don't we're not okay with the silence. Therefore, it really affects our communication. I would say, therefore, it impacts how we love one another. Because when I'm fully present to you, I'm really loving you. I should be able to walk into any Starbucks and go, there, there's some Christians, and there's some Christians, and there's some Christians. Why? Because they are attentively listening to each other. Because it's what love looks like. For some of you, that's all you needed to hear this morning. The rest of us, we need to stay for a little longer. So the consulting doctor in all of these things said, these patients with the fear of silence report an unhealthy need for constant noise and interaction with others, which can cause serious problems in their lives. So we're going through this series. Today is about two things, silence and solitude, the very things that I just mentioned phobias about. Now, in Luke 5, another really important verse, by the way, if you are picking verses to memorize, this might be a good one. Luke 5, 15 and 16, 16 is the key verse. The news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. He got people everywhere. I mean, they're like digging through the roof to try to like lower down paralytics and you, there's no room in the house and people are trying to listen from a long ways away. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and 
prayed. I don't love lonely places as a translation, NIV translators, just saying, you know, just why? Because the word is eremos. He went off to the wilderness to pray and to be alone, to find silence and solitude. This is what Jesus often did. It's his pattern. It's his rhythm. And in this series, one of the things that we're trying to figure out is what are Jesus's rhythms and how do we imitate him in this way? So I want to challenge you today, here at the beginning of 2024, with all of the things going on in your life, to consider these two postures as rhythms for your life. So we're going to explore the benefits of walking into these two things. And then at the end, I'm going to give you 10 really practical steps that you can walk through to guide you in a 10-minute silence and solitude with God. All right? So we're commanded to walk in his steps. 1 Peter 2, uh, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Since we're taking on the light yoke that Jesus offers us in Matthew 11, we're supposed to walk his pace. And his pace looks a lot slower than our pace. His pace looks a lot more deliberate than our pace. His pace allows someone to interrupt and for him to stop and to be fully present. You know, most of the ministry we see Jesus do in the Gospels, as I, I went through like the Gospels one day and I just like tried to see every single encounter, almost all of them were interruptions. Hello? Jesus isn't ticked off. He's like, why are you bleeding all over me? Literally, Right? He's like, no, wait a second. When he sees the crowds, he has compassion on them like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus knew what the Old Testament said. Oftentimes, we don't know what the Old Testament says. In fact, some people don't even have an Old Testament in their Bible. They're just looking at the New Testament. We're supposed to look at the entire counsel of God from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So Jesus knew this, Psalm 62 my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Find rest, O oh my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. The word alone is mentioned three times in three verses there. You want to find rest? You find it in God alone. Jesus also knew this verse in Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Jeremiah 31 verse 25. I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. This is God's will for us. This is his desire for us. And, he, and Jesus knew this is where you find rest. So how do you get this kind of rest from God? Answer, stillness. Stillness. I know that from these verses. Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That's so counterintuitive. No, wait, I gotta fight. I gotta, nope. Cease striving and know that I'm God. So that's another verse. Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. How are you doing with the whole waiting thing? 
Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Yes, it's going to look a little bit unfair. Somehow the world looks like it's winning. That's not the way it works. Wait on the Lord. Psalm 46, we pre- I preached on this a few weeks ago. Be still and know that I am God. 1 Kings 19, here's Elijah. He's, he's looking to meet with the Lord and he's, he hears the still small voice of God, the whisper of God. How do you hear whisper? Well, you got to be real, real quiet. It's about the stillness and the silence where we find refreshing. Now, I'm going to show you this little video. It has no audio. Here's this chap. He's putting a little bit of dirt in this water. And imagine our lives as this glass of water. It gets junked up by all sorts of things of the world. It's our own bad decisions, being hurt by others in this world, suffering, pain, sin. It could just even be the stress that you carry. It's pretty cloudy. It's pretty rough looking. You wouldn't want to just pick that up and drink it. But a little time lapse. When we get clouded, confused, it's hard to see the way forward. And maybe that's why people fear being alone, because they don't know what's next and it freaks them out. But when we choose to be still, the longer we sit with our loving Father, our Heavenly Father, the clearer we become on what's really going on in our lives. And we get clear in our own heart and mind as we do, we're able to pour ourselves into others and be a blessing. So let's talk about this. Dallas says this, silence and solitude, there's our two in the same quote, do go hand in hand usually. Just as silence is vital to make solitude real, so is solitude needed to make the very discipline of silence complete. Very few of us can be silent in the presence of of others. Ruth Haley Barton, one of my favorite authors on this topic, says this, silence deepens our experience of solitude because in silence we choose to unplug, and you can read that both emotionally, mentally, physically, noise-wise. We unplug not only from the constant stimulation of life in the company of others, but also from our own addiction to noise, words, and activity. It is an addiction that we have. We are allergic to silence. It creates a deep space, she goes on to say, for listening to the knowings that go beyond words. Deep calls unto deep and feeling no pressure at all to put the depths of the human soul in to words. So silence. There's two kinds of silence. External silence and internal silence. Let's talk about external silence first. I think it's the one that you're more aware of. Let's talk about noise pollution because it's what keeps it, things from being silent. Our brains are constantly working to filter out all the noise by what's called sensory gating. Right now, your brain is automatically filtering out the fact that there are, is a slight hum of fans right now going, blowing the warm air in here so I can wear a short sleeve shirt today and pretend like I'm on, I'm on Cambodia already, right? Your ears are filtering out coughs that are happening all over the place, little kids saying things to their parents that stayed in the service, sneezes, the freeway, somebody walking through the lobby, your brains are doing all of that behind the scenes. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. However, 
when there is excessive noise all the time and you're actively doing this, just think about restaurants, right? Restaurants are like in a typical bar and grill, it's like a 97 decibel meter rating, which is equal to a sawmill. And you're just trying to, trying to, if you're like me, as you get older, it's harder and harder to hear the person across from you. And you're having to filter all of that noise out, right? And it taxes not only your body, but mostly your brain and your spirit, right? You probably know what I'm talking about, right? One study in Japan found a deep connection between sensory gating deficiency and chronic fatigue syndrome. In those with extremely high sensory gating deficiency, the condition often present is schizophrenia. Okay, so what's the point? The point is the lack of quiet and excessive noise in our culture is compromising our mental health, all right? Now, I just said we're probably addicted to noise. Why? Glad you asked. I'm going to tell you a few reasons I think that we are addicted to noise. And I say we because I include myself in that category. First of all, we like to add drama and excitement to life. We've got to have a soundtrack going, right? Like the movies. Like, while I'm working, I want to have an epic, you know, and I do. My poor coworkers are like, Andrew, can you turn your music down? It's just too much. Like, I just, I want like epic Celtic battle music in the background. I'm like, yes, I feel so triumphant right now. Now, there's nothing wrong with a good soundtrack, and I'm orchestrating music, you know, and so I, I appreciate that. But oftentimes, we don't just turn off the radio in the car and just have silence as we're driving to work. Oftentimes, when I fast, one of the things I fast is listening to anything in the car, because God always shows up in the car. Well, for me, anyway. I think he probably does the same thing for you. It adds drama to life. Two, our media doesn't show us what it looks like. It doesn't allow dead air. It's actually against the rules. Three, we have normalized very high levels of noise. The most popular restaurants seem to all be loud. It's crazy. Four, it, noise distracts and numbs us. It's to what we might be sensing. It keeps us from really understanding what's really going inside our hearts. It drowns out the internal voices, the things that are going on. So that's external noise. How about internal noise? Well, I've already been referring to that a little bit. If silence is scary to us, I would say there's probably some soul work that needs to be done. There's some healing that needs to happen. That's going to feel crummy to some of you. Sometimes being the pastor, you've got to say hard things doesn't seem like a hard thing. It is a hard thing. If silence is scary to you, it means that you need to go after some more healing. Some of you have buried your old wounds so deep, and you're so afraid that if I dig these things up, I'll never make it back. The truth is, this is like unforgiveness. It's like drinking poison all the while, all the while hoping someone else dies. Whatever those things are, those hurts, we would love to help you walk through those things and just apply truth to them. Let go of the things that you've been holding on to and really embrace life to the fullest. Some of you are so afraid to do that because this has become who you are. You've held on to this wound for so long that if you don't have it, what will you talk about? What will you email about? What will you think about? 
we will help you figure out those things. I promise we have lots of wonderful things that you could find meaning in, but not your wounds. Silence is risky for all of us. It's not like, oh, well, some of you just need to get your act together. It's risky for all of us. Why? Because we all carry brokenness. And when we're quiet, we're alone with our thoughts. Do you know that noise is the tool of the enemy? Well, I've got to talk about C.S. Lewis. It's not going to be a sermon without C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book named uh, The Screwtape Letters, um, which is uh, these demons writing a le- letters back and forth to each other about how they're trying to mess up the lives of people that follow Jesus and how do they, they're keeping people from actually stepping into their destiny and actually using their gifts and helping others to heal and be more whole. And so the demons are complaining that silence is a danger to their efforts ruining a Christian's soul. The senior demon named Screwtape calls the devil's realm a kingdom of noise and claims we will make the whole universe a noise in the end. But more than demons, we are using the external noise to drown out our own internal noise. That noise that comes from replaying painful situations over and over and over in our mind. The running critique or judgment or commentary in your minds about everything. Seeing everywhere where you don't measure up constantly. Our lustful thoughts about that guy or about that gal. Our revenge fantasies. The next time I see him, I'm just gonna. Our worry. The what-if planning. This is the, if I can just think of all the things that I might do when the bad thing happens, then it somehow will lessen the pain. It doesn't. It just makes you tired. Some of you are experts in worrying about the future and figuring out a hundred contingency plans. The Lord needs that He wants that. He doesn't need it. He wants it. He wants that bandwidth going towards something that will bring you life to the fullest and bless others. But that's internal noise for us. Obsessing over hypothetical situations, kind of similar. Role-playing the future. Okay, uh, when this happens, then I'm going to... Dreaming of the perfect life. Wait a second, what's wrong with that? It ruins the one you live. Because you fail to be thankful for where you are. Do you have dreams and visions? 100%. I do too. Let's dream with God. However, I want to be content in this moment. And sometimes that's a fight if all I think about is what I don't have. And when am I going to finally? So while the external noise is easier to turn off, right? You can turn off the radio in your car. You can walk away from the loud places. Internal, internal noise doesn't seem to have an on-off switch. And if you could find it, please tell me because I want to I do that. Because silence is good and necessary. St. Augustine said in his poetry that entering silence is entering joy. Some of you are like, oh, I don't agree with that. Just take it by faith. Henry Nouwen said silence is the way to make solitude a reality. And my hero, my family gives me a hard time. Every time I talk about him, I cry. Mr. Rogers says, silence is the greatest gift that we have. 
Silence is necessary to hear Jesus. Matthew quotes, oh well, Jesus quotes in Matthew 12. He quotes, uh, it's uh, Isaiah 42. He says, uh, talking about the Messiah himself, he will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. In other words, Jesus isn't going to raise his voice so you can hear him better. He's just going to wait for you to be still. Be still and know. So where can you find silence? I have an answer. You need to go to Ho Rainforest in, in, near Seattle. This place gets 14 feet of rain per year. Seattle gets 36 inches. This place gets 14 feet of rain, right? If you venture deep into this place, and I've not been there yet, but I'm looking forward to going there someday, you might come across this tiny little red, red rock. I have it on the screen here. And it is the marker laid out by an ecologist named Gordon Hempton to mark the quietest place in the United States. Now, he didn't just find the quietest place. He's made it his life's mission to defend it. So he systematically hikes in the forest on certain days. He takes noise readings, and he says, quote, When noise intrusion occurs, I locate the noise maker, send them a letter, and ask for compliance. This matter is urgent. It's likely that in 10 years there will be no quiet place left until, unless we take action. That's a passionate calling right there. I think it's pretty great. What's the point? We have to seek silence and then we have to defend it. We have to seek silence and then defend it. Wherever we need to trek into to find that sacred space, we need to go there. And once we find it, we must defend it. It was 1905 when a Nobel Prize winning bacteriologist Oh, I just can't even say it. A guy who studies and is an expert in bacteria, Robert uh, Koch, made an ominous prediction. He says this, The day will come when man will have to fight noise as inexorably as cholera and the plague. And he was ignored. So silence is a gift to us. We've got to fight to protect our quiet place, our quiet time, whatever that looks like. So make no mistake, time in silence is not easy. It is not without risk because there is a death involved. Sounds very ominous. Jeff Bethke says this, In silence, you'll find a space where your old self began, begins to suffocate and your new self begins to be renewed. And the truth of God begins to slowly but surely fill and rewire and recalibrate your new humanness. One of the reasons why the enemy wants to keep us noisy and busy and occupied because this is the kind of work God wants to do in our soul, beginning to rewire our insides. Silence rarely takes place without our second thing, and that is solitude. Now, I asked Jared, and he very graciously, right before the service, put, uh, got this together for me. Do you know what this is? This is the fortress of solitude. Now, if you're an eight-year-old in your, in your own heart like me, 
you would know that this is Superman's happy place. And I looked it up. Why is the Fortress of Solitude significant to Superman? And I think it actually ties in to what we're talking about. The play, this is what it said online and everything I read online, of course, is true. So the place where Superman first learned his identity, his true identity, right? Heritage and purpose on earth. So solitude is the place where you learn your identity, heritage, and purpose on earth. Well, that'll preach. Another website said, it's where heroes go. It's where you remember where you came from. Because if I'm not mistaken, this is supposed to be a place that reminds Superman of his home planet, Krypton. Right? Did I get it right? I know there's a lot more fans here than me, so I'm going to mess it up and then somebody's going to be upset. But yeah, I think created and provided from his father, right? Yeah, pretty darn cool. So where is your fortress of solitude? That's one of my questions for you today. Now, Henry Nouwen, very deep thinker of this last century, solitude is not a private therapeutic place. Rather, it is a place of conversion, the place where the old self dies and the new self is born. Huh, that sounds just like what Jeff Bethke said. So this is not a place of isolation. This is not about isolation. It's different. How is it different, Andrew? Glad you asked. Here's the difference. Solitude on one side, isolation on the other side. Solitude is engagement and safety and how you open yourself up to God. It's time to feed and water your soul. It's a place of drawing strength. It's a place of connection with God. It's a place of peace. Yes, it's a place where you die to self. And yes, you, you might see some yucky stuff in yourself. But it's different from isolation. Isolation is escape and danger, dangerous. And painting a target for yourself, for the tempter to shoot at. It's, it's what you crave without solitude. It's a place of weakness. It's a lonely place. Richard Foster said this, Loneliness is, inter, in, is in, inner emptiness. But solitude is inner fulfillment. Do you see the difference? So many people complain that they feel so far from God. Could the antidote for feeling like this be as simple as practicing these two rhythms of silence and solitude? Uh, Spoiler alert, answer yes for me. It's so then... It's more about our absence than God's. It's more about our distraction than his disconnection from us. It's a little bit like the old story of the farmer who, you know, grew up with his uh, high school sweetheart. And one day after being married for years and years and years later in life, the wife says, we never sit all snuggled up in the truck like we used to. And the husband looks at her and says, I haven't moved And in the same way, Jesus never moved away from us. We decided to sit in the passenger seat further away, or or worse yet, we've taken the wheel and we told Jesus to ride in the back of the truck, only consulting him when we get stuck in the mud or we need to be rescued. And yet, that famous song, Jesus Take the Wheel, Take It From My Hands, is actually a really good one. We need to give Jesus the wheel. And I want to stay snuggled up next to him. 
I don't want to move away from him. And solitude and silence, these are places where you get close. Henry Nouwen said, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. John Mark Comer made a list. I think this is his list. I won't take credit for it. I'll give him credit. Um, Without solitude, we feel distant from God. We end up living off of someone else's spirituality and experiences. We're connected only to God via podcast, book, sermon, devotional. And it's not about us meeting with God. It's about us learning about God. And solitude is critical for us to be able to get to that place. We also feel distanced, distant from ourselves. We lose sight of our identity and our calling. We get sucked into the urgent and away from the important. Something beautiful about setting aside time alone where God reminds you of things. I was praying this week and um, getting ready to do um, Angela's service. And I'm praying and the Lord said, make sure you have all your music. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, make sure you have all your music. And I was sure enough, I had left one of the pages on the piano, but he reminded me. I love that. I was like, thanks, Lord. That would have been really hard without that piece of music. Without solitude, we feel an undercurrent of anxiety. We always feel like we're behind, always trying to feel like we're catching up. Do you ever feel like that? We get exhausted. We wake up and you think, when's the next time I get to sleep? Low energy, you rely on the stimulant of your choice, whether it's coffee or something else. And even when you catch up on your sleep, you feel a deeper kind of tired. Does this ring a bell at all for you? Or you just turn to your escape of choice without solitude. This is running to something to give you energy, something life-giving. And instead of doing that in solitude, we go after a glass of wine, a new show to binge, social media, pornography. You make the list. Without solitude, we become easy prey for the tempter, which just feels like we move further and further away from God. And we start living from the surface, not from our core. Emotional unhealth begins to set in. And we're reactionary. The the smallest little comment triggers you. The throwaway line for the boss, the snide comment from a coworker, a suggestion from your lovely wife or husband or roommate. It doesn't take much to set you off. And then you lose your temper. You bark at your kids. You kick the dog. You get defensive. You call the person in front of you who is driving names. You sulk. You feel angry. You feel sad, etc., etc. Wait a second. That all comes from a lack of solitude? I believe yes. Because when I practice solitude and silence, those things come up much less. It doesn't mean I don't ever struggle and do things wrong or say things wrong or get mad at the person driving badly. I mostly get mad at them because they're going to hurt somebody. You're going to hurt somebody! I'm telling them. They can't hear me. But I tell them anyway. It's better than giving them, you know, hand signals and things like that. Like that. That's who you're thinking of, right? 
So what does life look like with solitude? Here's the other side of it. We find our quiet place. We take our time. Maybe it's not a full hour. Maybe it's just some minutes to be with God. We slow down. We come back to the present. We start to feel. And let me warn you, when I spend time alone, I get all the yucky stuff comes up first. You should have. You did that really badly. I can't believe it. You, you preached about Sabbath and then you did all that stuff on your... What are you thinking? That's the voice of the enemy. He's going to throw you all this stuff. Once you get quiet, he's probably the, probably the first voice you're going to hear. You just go, nope. Jesus, I know I'm yours. I'm your loved son. So remind me who I am again. Help me get focused on the right stuff. I'm just going to reject all that stuff. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. There is not like, well, he might flee. Uh, he might think about fleeing. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. No, that's just lies. Get away from me. But then after you get past that yucky stuff, and maybe for you, you don't ever get that yucky stuff, but I do. Then comes peace, joy, love, rest, contentment, thanksgiving. And with solitude, we face the good, the bad, and the ugly in our hearts, right? Worry, depression, hope, desire for God, our lack of desire for God, our sense of God's presence, our sense of God's absence, our fantasies, our realities, all the lies that we believe in, all the truth that we come home to, our motivations, our addictions, they all come up. Coping mechanisms, it's all exposed. That's hard to see. But it's exposed in a safe place with God who loves you and a place where you're seen and known fully. So we sense his voice cutting through the noise. It's this silent place where God begins to speak to us, bringing us back to a place of freedom. Thomas Kelly called this place the unhurried center of peace and power, and that's what you need desperately. It's what Jesus talked about in John 15, where he talked about, I am the vine and you are the branches abiding in him. To abide is as a form of abode or to make your home with him. The place of rest. This is the place where our soul comes home. Ruth Haley Barton says, Solitude is the place inside myself where God's spirit and my spirit dwell together in union. So in her book, Solitude and Silence, uh, she gives you some of the things that you might experience, might do in solitude. It's not about solving or fixing. It's about feeling the feelings and attending to yourself and to God, simply allowing God to be present with you. So how would you do it or where would you do it? Well, just a couple suggestions. Nature, great place to find solitude and silence, whether it's in your backyard or in the park or wherever you can find it. I have a blue chair by my fireplace. It is my absolute favorite place to be with Jesus. There's a couple helpful things. The best gift that I got this Christmas was a new pair of noise-canceling headphones. Why? Because my, my house is filled with life, and I don't want to have to constantly be going to the park. I want to be able to sit in my blue chair, and I put those little babies on. It's like, oh, that's pretty good. All right. Whew, it's quiet in here. Never quiet at our house. You could do a float. You can go on a trip. 
far or wide. So, I promised you 10 steps. Here they are before we close. Invitation to solitude. First is just establish the space with no distractions. This may be challenging for you. You may have to be creative. Where's your sacred space going to be? It might be in a really random spot. I think it was Joanna Wesley that would just pull her dress over her head. Say, when the dress is over the head, I'm with Jesus. All of her kids run around. Two, something concrete to focus on. What do I mean by this? Well, sometimes it's nice to light a candle and just watch the flame, or I like to light a fire in the fireplace if it's a cold enough day. Just, just enjoy the fire. Or sit and look at a piece of moss on a really cool stick or a stream. Something to focus on. Just, just say, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm just here with you, but I've got something to focus on. Three, uh, find a comfortable position. I think this really helps me focus. If you're super awkward or it's in a spot where your back's hurting and stuff, you just be thinking about that. Get in a comfortable position. Four, begin with a modest goal of a length of time. I'm suggesting 10 minutes. You, you'd be surprised at how long 10 minutes can feel when you're really quiet and you quiet your heart. And then five, take deep breaths. And pray that short prayer of invitation. I realize that's not on the slide. It's okay. Lord, I invite you here. Six. Oh. So pray. Take short, deep breaths. Number five. Number six is then inviting the Holy Spirit to come. Seven. Pay attention to what bubbles up in your heart. It might be the junk, like I said first. You just skim it off. Feel them, name them, confess them if you need to. And each one does. Just tell God, God, I give this to you. I trust you with it to hold. It could be a situation in your life comes up. All of a sudden you're worried about that thing at work and it's all you can think of. Say, all right, Lord, I'm going to physic. I'm just going to tangibly give this to you. I'm going to trust you with it. You hold it for me. And then that, just, just something about that. I keep a little notepad if I think of something that I got to do later. I just write it down and then it's off my, I don't even, like once, once I write it down, then it's off. You can think about that too when you do it. <laughs> Lastly, when your timer goes off, thanks God, thank God for his presence during this time. Wait a second. But Andrew, you didn't mention anything about the Bible. You read the Bible if you want to. But you, you didn't really talk about praying. I think you're just being with God. And in the midst of that, you'll probably pray. You'll probably talk to him and he'll probably say some things back to you. This is not about checking a box. This is not about jumping through hoops. This is about being with him. It's what he wants most from you. So, it is my prayer that this was a challenge for you this morning and will be helpful. And I do challenge you that if the Lord was speaking to you about any of the things I talked about, and I said a lot of stuff today, so 
Thanks for your really, really careful listening. I just believe that God showed you something that you could really put into practice this week. And it might just be try to, try to go after 10 minutes with God. Find a space. Protect it. Come honest before God and let him do the work. You will be amazed at the peace that you come out with. If you can do this in the morning, it's even better because you get that peace all the way through the day. You do it at night, you could take it right into your sleep. You got options. Or you could do it more than once a day. All right. I did have a prayer, but I don't think it's showing up on the screen. So is there a prayer that has a blue box around it? Jared, not so much. It didn't make the, the cut. It stayed on my computer and it did not go over. That means we're not supposed to do it. So if you'd stand with me, I just want to close, close us here. May the peace of God wrap you up. And may when you sit with him, may his presence be palpable and May it be something that begins to unclutter your heart and your mind. Bless you in the name of Jesus, church. With, good, with the strength to give good boundaries and to protect this space. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do a new work in us as we are quiet and silent before you. That you would show us things that are too magnificent to even describe. Lord, we want to go deep with you. We don't want to just be on the surface. We want to be deep people who draw deep meaning and purpose and identity from you in our fortress of solitude. And so help us, God, to step after, go after these things. I pray a blessing over this family gathered as well as on the stream. Bless you in the name of Jesus. Prayer folks, if you'd come down forward, we've got prayer and we would love to pray with you for whatever is going on in your life. And so uh, feel free to come on down. Otherwise, we'll see you next week.